Uh, we have had a few glitches today, but there are no glitches in the book that we are opening right now. It is God's sure, inerrant, infallible word. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 9. We're going to be reading verses 7 through 10. In this, the last in our series entitled, Wind Chasers and Worshippers, A Quest for Significance. May God bless us as we, as we read his word now. Go, eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because that, that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. Do it with your might. Well, as I say, we are at the end of this series in Ecclesiastes, and I would uh, note again there will be a number on the wall, I believe, uh, that you can send questions to. We should have a few minutes at the end for a final Q&A time as we conclude this series. Our summary statement for this whole series has been this, even if in our quest for significance, we could try everything under heaven that there is to try, we would not find our meaning here. For our, can you finish it? For our maker is our meaning. Even if we could try everything under heaven that there is to try, in order to find our meaning, we would not find our meaning here. This is the message of Ecclesiastes. Even if you could try everything like Solomon did, you wouldn't find your significance here. For our maker is our meaning. I ran across a statement by Paul Tripp the other day that summarizes the first part of that summary statement pretty well. He writes, of course, you haven't been fulfilled in this world. It's a sign that you have been designed for a world to come. When you forget this, you work very hard to try to turn this moment into the paradise it will never be. Your marriage will not be a paradise. Your job will not be the paradise you long for. Your friendships will not be the paradise your heart craves. The world around you will not function like paradise. Your children will not deliver paradise to you. Even your church will not live up to the standard of paradise. If you're God's child, paradise has been guaranteed for you, but it will not be right here, right now. All the things that disappoint you now are to remind you that this is not all there is and to cause you to look for the, and long for the paradise that is to come. The dreams that die remind you 
that this is not paradise. The flowers that wilt remind you that this is not paradise. The sin that captivates you should remind you that this is not paradise. The diseases that infect you are to remind you that this is not paradise. Live in hope because paradise is surely coming. But stop asking this fallen world to be the paradise it will never be. The sooner we get this, my friends, the more ready we will be to move upward in our thinking into what really matters. The the sooner we understand that this world will never be our paradise, the sooner and more ready we will be to discover that our maker is our meaning, that our maker is our joy. We've summarized what it means that our maker is our meaning with four simple statements taken from Ecclesiastes. Remember that God exists. Reverence who God is. Obey what God says. And enjoy whatever God gives. Those, those are the four pillars. I would, I would dare to say you could rest your life on those four pillars. No matter how broken the world is, no matter how broken your world is, if you get those four things into place securely, you will find your meaning here. Remember that God exists. Reverence who God is. Obey what God says. And then you'll be positioned to enjoy whatever God gives. And it's something of a surprise ending, I think, Certainly for most people who are inclined to think or trained to think that religion is primarily a matter of rules to be kept and taboos to be avoided and pleasures to be denied, to be told that part of the meaning of life is to actually enjoy life, enjoy whatever God gives can come as a surprise. Pleasure and enjoyment are not the meaning of life, but they are a part of a meaningful life. They are not what life is all about, but life cannot be blessed. Life cannot be meaningful. Life cannot have a measure of joy to it without an experience of the good things that God has given to us. Let me, let me summarize Uh, today's message with this simple statement. We are called to enjoy whatever God gives. We are called to enjoy whatever God gives. Let me just unpack that for you here. We are called, first of all, we are called to enjoy whatever God gives. Scattered throughout the book of Ecclesiastes are repeated reminders, if not imperatives to us, to enjoy life. Right here in the text that I just read, the the joy language is emphatic, it is repeated. The writer says, eat your bread with joy. Next time you sit down to a loaf of bread, have joy in it. And then he says, Drink your wine with a merry heart. Have a merry heart. And then he says, enjoy 
your wife, the wife whom you love, the relationships that you have, the marriage that you may enjoy, enjoy it. And he's not talking here, how do I say this discreetly? He's not talking here platonically. He is talking in Solomon's understanding of marriage. He is talking about enjoy. He is saying, enjoy your wife. And then he says, put on white garments and put oil in your hair. That's, that's an ancient Hebrew way of saying, wear your nicest clothes, get ready for a party, do whatever you do to your hair, yeah. put oil in your hair, splash a little cologne on, go for it. That's what he's saying. This is ancient Hebrew language for enjoy celebrations, enjoy happy times, enjoy good times. And then as if to just kind of put an uh, a, a exclamation mark at the end of this, he says in verse 10, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. In other words, don't be half-hearted about this joy. Be all in about this joy. Don't be half-hearted about eating your bread with joy or drinking your wine with a merry heart or enjoying your marriage or going to the celebration feast or putting the oil in your head. Don't be half-hearted about this. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Be, in one sense, committed to joy. Be committed to pleasure. You can see your mind's... The gears are turning here. I uh, wasn't expecting that. Didn't we hear about this back, I don't know, Sermon 2? The vanity of being in search of the eternal buzz. Remember that? Didn't we hear about the vanity of pleasure and the futility of pleasure? Yes. If you make pleasure your ultimate goal... If you make pleasure, try to make pleasure the meaning of your life, it will end in futility. However, if you remember that God exists, and if you reverence who God is, and if you obey what God says, then you're in a position to enjoy whatever God gives. And the author wants to make sure we get this. And so he repeats it in nearly every chapter. In chapter 2, if your Bible's still open, chapter 2 and verse 24, there is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. Chapter 3, and verse 12, I perceived that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. Verse 22, so I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work. Chapter 5 and verse 18. Chapter 5 and verse 18, Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given 
Him. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept His lot and rejoice in His toil, this is the gift of God. Chapter 8 and verse 15, I commend joy. For man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. For this will go with him in his toil through all the days of his life that God has given to him. So over and over and over, we are reminded to be joyful. We are reminded to enjoy life. Folks, there, there, is, there is really a very rich theological truth tied in with this call to joy. You see, way back in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve sinned, and a curse, as you know from Genesis 3, a curse fell on the earth, fell on humans, fell on the earth. What we need to understand is that that didn't wipe out all of Eden. That didn't erase all the good that God had made. There are still echoes of Eden that we hear throughout our days. There are still glimpses of Eden that we see every day of our life. There are still reminders that we live in a world which for all of its brokenness and all of its sorrow and all of its sadness is a magnificent world filled with beauty and filled with good things. And they are good things. This is, again... This is important just to try to get our minds around here. We, we as Christians, we believe that things are good. That makes us different than Hindus and Buddhists and a lot of other faiths because um, a lot of those faiths actually deny that things are good. In other words, in, in, in fact, they actually advocate that you try to separate yourself from things. You try to disengage because the material world is either not real or it's not good. It's not helpful. So disengage from it and try to escape into just kind of a spirit existence. The, the world is not good. Matter is not good. But the Bible comes along and in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, we read what? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And I'm here to tell you, God doesn't make bad stuff. So that at the end of creation, when God looks at everything that he had made, what does he say? Behold, it is very good. Creation is good. Created things are good. Created pleasures are good. But we Christians sometimes get confused here. We get tricked into thinking a lot like some of these other faiths think. And we begin to think that physical things and material things are bad and that real spirituality comes not from physical pleasure or material pleasure, but from spiritual pleasure and treasure. And we, we, we become those who look down on physical things and material things and and we have to be careful here because God made those things. C.S. Lewis, I think, puts it beautifully where he says, there is no good trying to be more spiritual than God. 
It's worth thinking about right there. God never meant man to be a purely spiritual being. God invented eating. I love it. He likes matter. He invented it. God likes things. God likes our bodies. God likes beauty. He likes pleasure. He likes music. He likes art. He likes these things. He made these things. God doesn't make junk. And so we have to be careful, don't we? Because we tend to think this way. If I'm going to be really spiritual, I need to get away from all that stuff. And it's just between me and God somehow. And I was thinking about this just this morning. I was thinking about Jesus. Jesus, God in the flesh. Jesus, God here on earth. He actually gets invited to and goes to a wedding. So, so here he is. He is entering into the joy of human experience and celebration. He goes to a wedding. And he's, he's taking part in the, the festivities and the happiness of the moment. And what happens? You know what happens. They run out of wine. So what does Jesus, the eternal Son of God in the flesh, do? He makes these massive jars fill with wine. So he goes to a wedding and he brings the wine. This, this is who the Son of God is. This is who he is. Now imagine if some of the people at the wedding had stopped to think, oh no, this is not very spiritual for me to be drinking wine or to be enjoying myself like this. I should not be enjoying myself. Being really spiritual, you're not enjoying yourself. No, Jesus, the eternal Son of God, is there enjoying himself and creating the means by which you can enjoy yourself. That's who God is. That's what God is like, which means, folks, that, that happiness and enjoyment and pleasure are God intended for our lives. Paul the Apostle makes this very, very clear in 1 Timothy chapters 4 and 6 where he writes, now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will disappoint will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons who forbid marriage. And by marriage, that's a euphemism. Paul is talking not just about marriage, but all of the pleasures that go with that. There are some, he says, who teach the teaching of demons. They, they are teaching lies and deception who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving for it is made holy or sanctified by the word of God and prayer. And then he adds in chapter 6, God richly provides us with everything to enjoy. This is, this is Paul the Apostle teaching theology. And he is saying God made it all, receive it with thanksgiving, consecrate it with prayer, and then enjoy it. Are we still going? I don't know what's happening. But we will we will enjoy the moment. 
a biblically informed Christian. Hear this. A biblically informed Christian knows that pleasure is good. Food is good. Wine is good. Sports are good. Music is good. Laughter is good. Humor is good. Dance, so long as it's not immodest or seductive, unless you're with your spouse, is good. Meatballs are good. Steak and mashed potatoes and ice cream and apple pie are good. They are gifts from God to be enjoyed. Pleasures not meant just to sit there and be looked at, but to be entered into with a grateful heart. C.S. Lewis writes, it is a Christian duty for everyone to be as happy as he can. And Martin Luther, who got a lot of things right and got a lot of things wrong, got this one right. He says, it is pleasing to our dear God whenever we rejoice or laugh from the bottom of our hearts. God smiles when we rejoice, when we laugh from the bottom of our hearts. Charles Simeon puts it like this, there are but two lessons for Christians to learn. The one is to enjoy God in everything. The other is to enjoy everything in God. Now, I need, I, I need to put up a don't go there sign right here. All right? So hear this. Here's, here's the sign. You've got you to read this sign. This is not a license to enjoy pleasures outside of the boundaries of God's law or in ways contrary to His commands. This is not a license to indulge excessive pleasures that harm your body or endanger others. This is not a license to become addicted to things that ruin your mind or your body. This is not a license for you to flaunt your pleasures in front of others in a way that tempts them to sin. This is not a license for you to hoard all kinds of pleasures to yourself while neglecting those who have little or almost nothing at all, chapter 11 says, cast your bread upon the waters. Be a generous man. God gives us things to enjoy, not just by indulging them ourselves, but by sharing them with others. So, read the sign. There are warnings here. There are boundaries here. There are guideposts here. The clearest of which is chapter 12 and verse 1. Remember your Creator. Chapter 12 and verse 13, fear God and keep his commandments. In other words, yes, go out and enjoy what God gives, but do it with God in mind. Do it with a heart reverent before God. Do it with a heart that is eager to obey God, and then you're ready to live. Then you're ready to live. A number of years ago, I... 
And this was in a season in which our life was filled with many trials and many hardships. Uh, I wrote the following few paragraphs. So friends, the duty to be as happy as one can is a call to find joy in the everyday gifts of God. It is realizing that when you drink cold water, you are drinking from the wellspring of God's heart. It's seeing that when a baby smiles or a toddler toddles, you are witnessing the emerging wonder of life. It's sensing that when a singer sounds like an angel, it's because there really are singing angels who are answering the song of a singing God. It is to feel the smile of heaven. To feel the smile of heaven when you clean your room, when you taste good beef, when you bite into a juicy sweet apple, when you hug a friend or share your table or take a long hot shower or smell a rose or see the stars or cheer your team or listen to music or sleep like a baby or lick the frosting bowl clean or experience just about any combination of chocolate and raspberry. It is to feel the smile of God. It is to receive whatever God gives you today with a thankful, smiling heart, with all the gleeful delight of a little child at Christmas. Friends, more of us as Christians... In this broken world, in this dark world, in this often depressing world, we need to understand this and we need to resolve to believe, resolve to believe. I resolve to believe this. Pleasure is good. And God wants me to enjoy all the pleasure I can in this life so long as He provides it and do it within God's boundaries, with gratitude for his bounty, with generosity toward those who have less, in celebration of my heavenly Father's goodness, all the while loving the giver more than the gift. That is a doctrine of pleasure that I believe is taught throughout God's word and is, I believe, a key aspect of a life worth living. Remember that God exists. Reverence who God is. Obey what God says. And enjoy whatever God gives. And you're good to go. You can do life. This is what it means that our maker is our meaning. He is high above it all, and he is the giver of all that is good. And so, we are called to enjoy whatever God gives. And it's not just the physical, is it? Not just the material. Look, I was thinking earlier, what, (laughs) you know how long it would take to list 
the pleasing, pleasant gifts of God that you and I have already experienced this morning? I mean, just, just start thinking, just this morning, just this morning, more than we could count. And it's every day. It's every day. But it's more than that. It's, you know, Ephesians 1 and verse 3 says that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ in the heavenly places. So it goes further than the physical and the material into the spiritual. We have blessings for our body and for our soul, for our senses and for our spirit, for time and for eternity. So we as Christians, we who believe in Jesus, we who have all things in Christ, we have every reason, folks, no matter how hard it is, we have every reason to rejoice. Every reason to be glad. I love this, these words from an old Puritan. Believe it or not, these are from an old Puritan named Octavius Winslow. I guess with a name like that, you might think old Puritan. But here, listen to what he said. The religion of Christ is the religion of joy. Christ came to take away our sins, to roll off our curse, to unbind our chains, to open our prison house, to cancel our debt. In a word, to give us the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for or instead of the spirit of heaviness. Is not this joy? Where can we find a joy so real, so deep, so pure, so lasting? There is every element of joy, deep, ecstatic, satisfying, sanctifying joy in the gospel of Christ. The believer in Jesus is essentially a happy man. The child of God is, from necessity, a joyful man. His sins are forgiven. His soul is justified. His person is adopted. His trials are blessings. His conflicts are victories. His death is immortality. His future is a heaven of inconceivable, unthought of, untold, and endless blessedness. With such a God, such a Savior, and such a hope, is he not, ought he not, to be a joyful man? Amen. With such a God who gives us all things richly to enjoy. With such a God who has made us joint heirs with Christ. With such a God and Savior and with such a hope, ought we not to be joyful? This is the concluding thought from Ecclesiastes. And may it be the reality in our lives. And can I say this as I close? All of this works in the real world. This isn't pie in the sky. This isn't cliche. This isn't platitude. This works in the real world. The real broken world you live in and I live in. The, the world of sadness and sorrow that we live in. It, 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 We actually can, in the midst of it all, we actually can stop and pause and reflect. We can remember that he exists. And we can reverence who he is, holding him in awe and wonder because he is so great. And we can obey what he says Because his commandments are not burdensome to us. They are a delight to us. And we can enjoy whatever he gives. Because, folks, 
No matter how dark your world is, it is never so dark that there is no light. Your world is not so dark that there are no rays of light coming from heaven. It is not so hard and so full of sadness that there are no reasons for joy. What did the writer of the book of Lamentations say? In the middle of his laments, in the middle of his sorrows, what does he say? Your mercies are new every morning. My friend, his mercies are new every morning. There are trials and there are tears, but there are mercies that are new every morning. Mercies to make you smile. Gifts from God in which your body and soul can take delight. And you will find, if you're, if you're committing your heart, you will find that if you remember that God exists, if you reverence who God is, obey what God says, and enjoy whatever he gives, you will find that he will carry you from day to day. And you'll find that you'll make it through the valleys. You'll make it through the dark places. You'll make it through the storm. And you'll find that God has been with you all the way through. This is at the end of the day, Solomon says, this is the end of the matter. This is the end of the matter. And how did we get all this? Did you earn it? Are you that good that you could just say to God, look, God, I have this coming to me? You know? You know no. You don't want to ask God what you, for what you have coming to you. Not a good idea. We didn't earn this. How do we get it? How do we receive this? It's all been bought. It's all been purchased at great cost. The blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because apart from him, my friends... Everyone in this room uh, would already be in hell. The fact that we are not in hell, the fact that we are trusting Christ, receiving any reason to smile any day of our life is that because of what Jesus has done for us. And so, as we close, I would invite you I would invite you to own all this, to cherish all this, to apply all this by making sure that you have placed your faith in the Savior who died, that you can have all this. Let me pray as we close, and then Andy's going to come, and we'll have time for a couple of questions. Father, thank you for your word. Father, this mysterious, wonderful book Ecclesiastes has at times baffled us but at the end of the day has become life for us thank you thank you for being so real dear Lord thank you for not putting on a fake advertisement for life in this world it's 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 messy we often can't figure it out but Lord you have you've given us a path you've you've shown us the way Help us to walk in it. 
And if there's anyone here who doesn't know Jesus, who hasn't trusted in Christ as Savior and Lord, then Lord, would you please so work in them this afternoon that they, they will not leave here until they are sure that they know you, that they have a Savior and have a reason to live. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Is Tim on there? Do we want to share this? Okay. Tim, you've done a great job. I mean, the questions I've gotten so far, I got them and then you answered them somewhere in the message. Even Someone even said, uh, you know, what about the Puritans? And then you quote a Puritan. So, so, uh, so, uh, so, so I'm, gonna, I'm just going to make it harder for you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drill down. Um, regarding drinking um, alcohol, um, folks come from different traditions, different church orientations and how they've been taught on that subject, and they come from different family environments and even personal experiences where alcohol's had a great uh, damaging effect. So how, this is my interpretation of the next level of the question about alcohol, how do we as a body relate to one another over that issue when we may come at it from different places? Uh, that is such a critical question and calls for a very careful answer. Um, what I express today is I believe what the Bible teaches about liberty with reference to wine and alcohol. However, um, this was a moment where I couldn't emphasize the cautions. It was just a moment to proclaim liberty in a sense. But you need to understand, we all need to understand, that in Scripture the warnings about alcohol are much more frequent and powerful than the statements of it being a blessing. And we need, to, we need to reckon with that. We need to realize that. What that means is that even if we feel the liberty to, to drink a glass of wine, even if we feel the liberty to uh, indulge in some alcohol, we must always be careful because it is a powerful and destructive thing when in any way abused or misused. So at a personal level, we must be very careful. Then at a brother-sister body of Christ level, we must be equally careful. Paul talks about how all things are lawful in Christ, that it's, you know, there is, you know, and, and he goes out of his way to talk about wine and other things that are legitimate for believers to enjoy. But then he says, do not destroy your brother for a liberty. Don't, if there is somebody in your, in your family, in your circle, in your relationships, in your community group, if there are people that you know that have been seriously battling with alcoholism, battling with addiction, then guard them and keep them and protect them and shield them. Do not be a source of offense for them. This doesn't mean we can't talk about it being a liberty. Paul does and the Bible does. It just means that it needs to be guarded with great care and caution, lest we sin, and then lest we 
cause others to sin. And in all of these things, let us be careful. And I hope, and as I prayed as I was preparing for this message, Lord, keep me from careless words. And, and I hope that, uh, I hope he did. Um, I hope he did. Um, but the reality is, is, is that there is liberty, but it's a liberty to be constrained by love. It's a, it's a liberty. All things are lawful. All things are permissible. Not all things edify. So let us guard our habits, our practices, how we handle our liberties, whether this or any number of other liberties. It could be for somebody else that they're really battling with weight and they're trying to lose weight. I wouldn't suggest chocolate and raspberry dessert when they come over for dinner. You know, love them enough to be considering their circumstances. I don't know, if there more, would you draw more out on that? Okay. One, one more with our time, again, just kind of consolidating a couple of them. Um, speaking to how we help one another, we, we, we observe somebody in, in the body um, who seems to be unwisely uh, indulging in or uh, participating in pleasures like this. Um, how do we relate to them uh, so it doesn't come across legalistically? How do we... How do we approach them to seek to help them? Any advice on that? I think I should turn this one back over to Andy. He's <laughs> oh my, there are levels, layers to that as well. Um, one thing, one thing I would say right from the start when it comes to anything that we observe in others that is a concern to us, maybe there are sin issues going on, maybe it's how they're treating their wife or how they're treating their kids or how, they're, uh, you know, how much they're drinking or how much they're eating anything, we should always be guarded in our approach and humble in our approach. Making sure, first of all, that we're acknowledging our own sins and our own weaknesses and our own frailties. And then secondly, making sure that we're not condemning, we are not, we are not coming at people with accusations, but coming humbly if there's reason to be concerned and just saying, brother, sister, I, I may be wrong here, but I, I'm, I'm just wondering about this area of your life. Is there something going on here that I can encourage you with, I can pray over, that we can work through together? Kind of humble spirit and a a humble tone, and um, and then just the perseverance. And folks, this is this is it for life for all of us. This is what love does. Love just perseveres. It just you know you keep loving people, you keep drawing near to people, you you keep engaging with people, you keep walking humbly with people, you keep encouraging people, you keep reminding people of God's promises, remind them of the gospel, and you know even as, if you have to bring correction or adjustment uh, to people. Always, always bring the gospel along with that. Just say, you know, Jesus died for all this stuff. So, so you don't have to be condemned, but let's, let's find the grace and the help and the strength of the Spirit together to walk through this and get to the other side in a place of victory and, and true freedom. Because freedom is not just in the scriptures, not just, not even primarily a matter of getting to do fun things. Freedom in scripture 
and I should ask Andy this, he's written the book on it, but freedom in scripture uh, is largely about freedom from sin by the power of the Spirit of God through the power of the gospel. And we want to always emphasize that kind of freedom even as we exercise other freedoms in our life. I don't know if I got to your question or not. All right. Well, Tim, thank you for this series, this message in this series, which has helped us all uh, navigate through things. I think particularly as a church that's newly forming with folks coming from a lot of directions, I think it's helped us think about things that, that are under the surface of how we're trying to learn how to relate to one another. And you bringing them up in, in the pulpit and addressing them head on and allowing us to dialogue with you over them has been very meaningful. So thank you very much. Amen. Amen.